Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And if this is your first time joining us, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Molly and I have unscripted conversations about life, love, child rearing, marriage, um, and just kind of general things that we hope you resonate with. Um, people are weird and hard, as we often say, and a lot of our stories come from kids, for instance. Who are weird and hard. Weird and hard. So we don't know exactly where we're going to go with this conversation right now. Um, if you do look into the show notes, you'll see uh, timestamps and It's like topical. a look into the future. Yeah. We have no idea, but you do. You know what we will talk about. <laughs> we don't know. Um, so yeah, you can look in there and scroll ahead and see if there's something you like or something you might be interested in. And generally, um, as with everything really nifty that I consider it completely providential, um, there's always a theme that somehow emerges regardless of how I, you know, might say something random or throw something out there or whatever. Somehow there's always seems to be these really nifty overarching themes. So that said, um, we do hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for spending some time with us. Um, a couple housekeeping tips over the course of the last few episodes, I've been uh, planning to blog a little bit more, provide more information, more materials. And I do have a stack of probably five drafts right now that are in the process of getting posted. So those are coming. As the title of our show suggests, we are too busy to flush. So half the time we're too busy to, you know, finish and post a blog post. That's but true. There's a lot of stuff that is fun to do. Um, other than that, uh, Molly and I were just having a discussion about <clears throat> the busyness of not only the holiday season, but just kind of of life in general. Um, we had an interesting, um, I had some news this week that wasn't quite so, um, quite as exciting as I was hoping. And I mentioned it to Molly and I said, Molly, why can't I just, you know, why can't I just do something, make a living doing something I enjoy and I'm good at? <laughs> you responded with, maybe that's your thorn in the flesh to keep you from getting super prideful. And then Sunday, during our life group slash Sunday school, we were going through First Samuel and there was a moment about how power and influence corrupts and, you know, God continually striking people down, you know. Well, David's beginnings after he was anointed king are him running from Saul for years and years and years. That's what we were talking about. Maybe that is a way that God used to shape David's heart into being a man after his own heart, that this is the heart of, of the king that I desire. And when David gets it goes to his head too much that he's the king that's when he starts staying home from battle and getting into trouble and things like that and somebody i don't know if it was morgan one of the other guys in the group or drew had mentioned that like you know god's like this isn't good for you so i'm not gonna let you do it like, yeah. this is just all bad for you and it just felt so and i don't think i told you this i told chris this yesterday but i just feel like it was so timely between those two conversations <laughs> were just like boom boom oh oh you know and uh that dovetailed into thinking about next you know i'm already thinking about next summer and i've we're only in december and i'm you know doing we're doing all this work and then molly was talking to me about 
trying to do some hospitality things. Remember that a couple weeks ago, yeah. you were trying to do some hospitality things and we're looking at the calendar going, whew. Yeah. The only day available was my birthday and you scheduled a gig on my birthday. So I scheduled it. The group uh, asked me to mix their show. I, mixed I know. I'm not, I'm not asking I you to get defensive. Think about it. I I'm know. Just... I just, it didn't even occur to me that it was your birthday in June. <laughs> So I was like, wow. Um, and I'm not getting defensive. It's just like for those listeners out there, like you are a very callous husband. I swear I'm not being calloused. It's just. And we don't put my birthday on no. our family calendar because no. you're just supposed to know. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, Molly and I are probably the least sentimental people you might ever meet. Although um, I will say we are watching the Behold the Lamb of God. It's not a live stream anymore. Mm. Recorded version with my parents and some of their friends and church plant people uh, on my birthday. Now, and, and you got a little bit huffy when we said we were doing it on on my birthday. You were like, "What?" But I'm working then. And I, I was like, "Yeah. Yeah." My brother had texted me uh, a couple days ago a screenshot of the Behold the Lamb of God. And if you guys aren't familiar with it, the artist CCM artist Andrew Peterson uh, does a Christmas I don't think special. he would consider himself CCM. Not anymore. Formerly CCM, maybe. Um, would uh, put together a Christmas special where the first hour, I think an hour, is like a bunch of his just kind of friends and other people doing little acts, and then he goes into the main show, which is a thematic, uh, thematic and musical retelling of the coming and birth of Christ. Um, so my brother sends me this photo. And he's been doing it for over 20 years. Yeah. Sends me this photo of the screenshot. And he's like, man, third song and I'm already emotional. I tend to cry by the second or third track, you know, when he gets into the program. Because it's just so good, you guys. I have ambitions to eventually one day um, take Molly to to Nashville live and watch it at the Ryman. Because... That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. He does a little bit of a tour, but it's all East Coast mega churches. And, and stuff. he'll go to Texas sometimes for it. One year he was in Minnesota. Wow. For it. Um, I really want to see the one at the Ryman. We, yes. Yeah. Tremendously cool. We can't really do anything like that right now because one of my huge struggles, you guys, for the last couple of weeks has been our four-year-old. And I would not inflict her on someone else besides her father for more than a couple of hours to save their lives. She has been so challenging in terms of she melts down at every turn. If something doesn't go her way, if a sibling doesn't give her exactly what she wants, doesn't include her in playing exactly the way she wants, just everything triggers her into a meltdown and it is exhausting and i think a little bit of it is being amped up at this time of year because i was talking to a couple of friends at church yesterday morning and their kids who are about her age have been very challenging to them recently Hmm. as well and that gave me a little bit of comfort that i wasn't alone at being at my wits end but we were like it doesn't seem like we can discipline this out of them. The disciplining just spools them up or they bounce right back into it after an episode of discipline. I I don't know. I've tried to limit her sugar, which is impossible this time of year because I've wondered if that's a little bit of it. I don't know. Anyway, 
I all that to say, we can't leave her with people for long right now because she would make them, she would permanently scar their souls or something. <laughs> I just wouldn't. I'm not. I mean, I mean she, it might be one of those things where she does really, really well with like other people, and it's just us. But I don't um, know. I have no idea of knowing. She watched the movie Sing two times straight while I was gone skiing, and my parents watched her last Wednesday. That was the only thing they could do to keep her happy. So she watched the movie Sing Oof. 2 twice straight through. Oof. I, I wish we could go back and remember, and remember the other struggles we had with the other kids and how we've kind of worked through those, and they're just all new. Yeah. But I don't remember anything. I, <laughs> I, think, I think traumatically God, it's, it's like God out of removes my, it from our memory, <laughs> and we won't remember this episode of her life either. But well, it, is, it, I guess. it is a challenge for this season nonetheless and all of the oh you'll miss this season when she's 18 and leaving the house and the exhortations to discipline better or to do whatever you know to fix something that i'm doing in parenting her are supremely unhelpful (laughs) um you know all of these really well-intentioned things which I, I take to heart in seeing this because obvi- the human nature is to try to fix, right? Mm-hmm. And to, we find, obviously, the struggle that you're having is something that you're doing wrong. And, you know, I think that's why we haven't talked about the health and wealth gospel for a while on here. But I think that's why health and wealth gospel is so tremendously alluring is because deep inside we want to have control we want Mm -hmm. to be able to control our circumstances and if you can look at somebody else's bad circumstances and say it's their fault in some capacity that means that if you just try hard enough or if you just do just the right things that thing that bad thing whether it's getting cancer or having a kid who grows up and isn't following the Lord or financial difficulties, if you can look at somebody else and say, that's their fault, that means that you can somehow protect yourself from that. Well, it's funny that you should bring that up because just, just today, um, Rachel on our telegram group, but I don't think she minds if we share this because I've gotten permission from them to share pretty much anything on our blog. Uh, Rachel says, surely I'm not the only one who feels so overwhelmed sometimes by the growing waywardness of the culture that I have to turn off the news. Um, even even great news sources and not just like regular TV yeah. news. A large lump grows in my stomach and this terrible feeling of chaos, hopelessness and desperation for truth and simple logic to be heard rolls over, just, you know, rolls over her body and mind. And... I got, I reflected on that very briefly because I recently in like the last six months, you know, I've got pretty much three primary news sources where I like, I like their perspective. I like, uh, how they're, you know, mostly how they present things. Um, and most of the time perspective, but, um, I just kind of stopped reading them (laughs) and it's like, it's not that I'm not interested, but I, I think I didn't realize at the time, but now that I'm reflecting on it, maybe it, it started giving me a little bit of cause for anxiety, even though it comes from a, you know, a more hopeful worldview. But I realize it's like, why do we do like, 
it has no bearing on my life. I mean, what yes, I know, yes I mean, and tangentially no. it could, maybe down the road if it's a big legal thing or it's a supply chain issue or it's a war. Yeah. Tangentially, you know, later on it might have a trickle down effect, but right now today it doesn't matter if I know what happened in the last 24 hours or not. And I remember a friend of mine, one of the guys who one of my mentors over the years said, you know, we just we have to know. We just want to know. It's kind of built into our human nature to know. Thereby, then we can control. And it's also built into the world that we will never know everything and we will never control everything. And we were not meant, I think, to know everything. So this you will be like God, this desire to know. Um, I read this world, not world. I, fe- I believe it was a gospel coalition piece, but I can't give you a link to it because it was a long time ago. But it it compared our our knowledge, and Rachel alluded to this in her post on the Telegram, which I just opened it up, and there's a bunch of follow-up comments that I haven't had time to read. But she alluded to this, this desire, the fact that technology gives us the ability to mm-hmm. know more than we were created to know. And obviously God, God sovereignly ordained the creation of this technology that we have at our hands today and it it can and is used for great good but also our brains were not designed for this incredible amount of knowledge because what we were designed for was for the amount of knowledge we have to match the amount of control that we have and because we are not all sovereign we should not be all-knowing but we desire to be all-knowing which gives us a desire to be sovereign and obviously that is that's for God alone. And so we do, I think, need to deliberately tamp back how we use sources of information, whether it's good information, you know, like the world and everything in it or not. We have to we have to deliberately tamp that back, whether it's taking uh, fasts from technology full stop. Like when we travel and we're off the grid, it's so freeing to not know what's going on in the outside world. And, you know, all we know is the needs of the little people in front of us and our connection with them and our connection with nature. And all of that hopefully is interrelated with our connection with the God who made that stuff and who's taking care of the rest of the world while we don't know about things that we can't control. Yeah, and even today, the whole self-counsel thing, like going back to my opening conversation, you're like, you're like, dear, and I think you were being somewhat tongue-in-cheek and kind of snarky in your own way. You're like, just accept the life God gave you. Just embrace it. Embrace it and just go with it. Well, I mean, <laughs> I like, have to do that to myself every day. I, I woke up this morning with a headache, which chicken or egg I don't know if it was caused by tension of sleeping and knowing that I had to wake up today and deal with school for all the kids and trying to incorporate Christmas magic into our week in addition to all the other things we have to do this week and uh, I say that a little bit snarkily but also I have a whole mantle full of Christmas books that I pull out every year and I have not sat down and read any Christmas books with faith except the pokey little puppies first Christmas. There's none of the delightful, godly Christian uh, 
Christmas books that I spent hours and hours reading to all of the other kids. Plus, I like to read the best Christmas pageant ever, every year to the kids, and I haven't touched that yet. And there's a lovely book called The Family Under the Bridge that I haven't touched yet this year. And Dick, Kate DeCamillo's book, Great Joy. We should actually link all of these. If you are an adult and you have not read the best Christmas pageant ever recently, I would strongly encourage you to it pick get, it up. Like, it's, it's sort of one of those things where I'd never liked it growing up. But the older I've gotten, the more the funnier it, it is. It is. It, it, it's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, the more brilliant it is because it's so sentimental and poignant and also hysterical at the same time. And the... The church lady interactions as an adult are so much better than they were as a kid. And the this awful family is <clears throat> so much more awful as an adult, quite frankly, than as a kid. <laughs> oh, they are. And you can you can almost you can almost pinpoint you can almost like think of relationships you have right now today that are like Each oh, of the like people in the book. Yeah. Anyway, if you haven't read it, it it's a fast book too. It would probably take you an hour to sit down and read the book and you can probably pick it up for, I don't know, seven, eight bucks on Amazon. Uh, and you will, I don't want to guarantee that you will be glad you did, but if you pick it up and you aren't happy with that time that you spent reading it, let us know and we'll send you a free people are weird and hard sticker (laughs) for yourself to wear as like a hi, my name is. My name is weird <laughs> and hard and hard. Uh, no, but for reals, I think that if you pick it up, you'll be delighted that you did. That's super uh, so going back, I was I, while you were talking about the accept the lot in life. I was tr- I was racking my brain trying to remember where in the last week I had also encountered biblical discussion about trying to control our world and being drawn away from the Lord, who rules over the heavens and the earth because we want more control than that in our own hands. And last Wednesday at, in our Wednesday evening Bible class that you missed, the the Bible teacher is still teaching through the book of Judges. Are we in Judges? Yeah, Judges. <clears throat> and he's he's coming out of Joshua and the conquest, and there's the people are following the Lord, and the Lord get, is giving these places into their hands. And then he's picking up all these linguistic clues in the first chapter of Judges about how things are going to start going downhill real fast for the people of God. And it doesn't take long at all in the book of Judges before the people are worshiping the Baals. And, um, and he, he kind of paused when he points out how quickly after Joshua's death, God's people start making gods and having household gods and worshiping the Baals. And he said, why do you think it? they did this so quickly? And somebody responded with a very astute point, which is because if you have any other God besides the one true God, It gives you a sense of control because those gods want things of you. And if you do those things for those gods, they do things in return for you. I mean, think about, you know, the gods that animistic gods in Africa or in the animistic cultures. You do things in order to 
get the gods to send you rain or to prevent other natural catastrophes. And that's the, the combination of that animistic culture and just human nature in general, I think, and the poverty, I think, is why the American export of our health and wealth gospel has taken such deep root in Africa and has spread like wildfire because there's all this brokenness and all this fear from living in an animistic culture. And if you just do this for the most powerful of the spirits, for the most powerful of the gods, then that most powerful of the gods will do X, Y, or Z for you. But even here in America, the health and wealth gospel is spread like wildfire and has taken deep root in many people's hearts. And and yet we see in our own hearts this desire, this bartering with God, this desire to not submit to him. And you see it all the way back in the book of Judges where we, we can't see our God uh, even though we're just a couple generations removed from Moses on Mount Sinai and some tremendous dis- and the Exodus and these tremendous displays of God's power and these tremendous displays of God's glory. But we've now sunk into, but we can't see him. We haven't heard from him for a while and we have things that we would like to control. And if I can take this little God and bring him into my house and try to manipulate my circumstances based on that, how much more preferable is that for me? in the short term. And obviously we do that in our own lives all the time, which I think going back to your conversation about David and Samuel and us in our own hearts, God keeps making things not go well for us (laughs) to keep us dependent on him and to remind us it does not go well for you when you try to do things in your own way, when you to you know, do the opposite of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, when you don't trust in the Lord with all your heart, when you do lean on your own understanding, when you don't acknowledge him in all your ways, your paths are crooked. And obviously he has the capability to make straight crooked paths, but uh, that involves turning to him and repenting and trusting in him. You know, you have to remember too that um, going well uh, has a different definition Yes. For God than it does for us. Because I can think about all of the other, you know, all of the people who's like, well, things are going really well for this guy. He's really successful here or whatever. You know what? He may not be a believer and God is just letting him do his own thing and he'll just do whatever. And things may go well for him on earth, but God's not concerned with how well things go for us on earth. He's concerned primarily about our souls mm-hmm. and molding our character into... Uh, into his likeness and into things that reflect who he is. And he's not going to do that for a non-believer. And, you know, so I'm, does God deliberately, um, you know, make things not go well for us sometimes? Absolutely. Um, it's just hard to like constantly trying to tell yourself that like, Hey, this is, this, this is, is good. This is God good is for me. Good. I need to, but I almost, I almost have to reorient my entire mindset yeah that you know going well or or the things that are happening it's it's what's going on in my heart that matters and not what's happening on the outside and that's always um a difficult thing to struggle with you know i i do i've had a lot of since i've been doing funny story um 
and I won't go into full detail because it could be, well, it's full of swearing, but Saturday I had the great pleasure of mixing a friend's band. Um, and they're a phenomenal group. Um, if they don't, they're all, I think most of them are happily married with kids. <laughs> so it's like, can, how, how far can you take a group like that? Um, but I had the pleasure of mixing them at the, at this last show and it was sounding, there was a couple little, you know, little things I needed to squash early on, you know, little feedback bugs here. And, you know, the cello was kind of a little bit muddy with the bass at the same time. So kind of getting those things dialed in, but anyway, it started sounding really good about song three or four, just was really happy with, um, the way it was sounding, just big and full and huge. But what was weird. It's like, there, there was a lot of people there. And there's a lot of people in Billings, specifically one of the guys who I work for at the other club, who owns the other club. He was there. And I was just like, uh, he's never actually heard me mix before. Because, you know, yeah, he helped get me hooked up with the gig, but he doesn't know, if, he's never heard any of my skills as far as I know. And um, so I'm a little bit nervous about that. That's kind of just over my head thinking, you know, these people are here right now and I want to impress the band. I want the band to really like it. And I want the audience, of course, to be like, this is the best sounding show we've ever heard. <clears throat> well, about song five or six, and this woman comes up to me and begins to shred me. She begins to tell me how much of a travesty it is that this her daughter's band is such a big night for them and the mix sounds terrible and they've got a terrible sound guy and it sounds awful and all these things. And I'm like, oh my word. It's the first time this has ever happened to me. And uh, she does this, she walks away and then she comes up and does this uh, a second time. And um, so I'm trying to be really gracious and talk to her, kind of hear some concerns, etc. And in the meantime, um, the... My boss over at the other um, other group um, and another engineer that I work with were listening to this whole. Over, they're overhearing this whole thing because um, I was. She was right. I was standing right in front of him when she was berating me. And um, anyway, he turned around and said, "You know, it's just so funny because I was just telling, you know, telling Josh here that this is like you are just crushing the mix tonight. It sounds so amazing in here, <laughs> you know." So that was. A little bolster, but then at the same time, I had the monster. It's just really, really awful. So then I just was filled with doubt, you know, about my whole, am I any good at this? Should I be doing this? That was a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress there for a few minutes. Like, is it, you know, so all these things come through. And at the end of the day, it's like, it just doesn't matter. This is like you said, this, this is just accept it, roll with it. This is your job. This is what you're doing. I mean, sort of, you're you can't just say nothing matters. <laughs> you know, um, you can't write every everything off as nothing matters. Well, yeah, I mean, there's always things. I mean, technically, there's always things to improve on. There's always things to learn, always things to yeah, work through. Yeah, you, you strive for excellence, um, and then you rest in knowing that you've done your best before God and for other people. And, you know, there's that there's that tension of the whole human life of you were made to enjoy and thrive in your work, but you are doing that in the context of a fallen world. So you don't always get to do what you love. You don't always get to do the best that you would like to do. You don't always get to make people happy with it. And you, you don't always make as much money as you would like. You know, there's, there's all always these, something. There's always these things. And so you recognize that you're doing the best you can in the context of a fallen world. And, you know, God, 
God, when you were saying, you know, what God wants in all of this is my heart, which is 100% true, but what God is doing in an overarching way, and I think some people would probably take issue with this, with me saying this, is he's even more important than my heart to him is his glory because he is bigger and more important than I am. And he works those things together. So, so rescuing my heart from my selfishness is to his glory. Uh, what, mm-hmm. what is for my good, which is rescuing me from my selfishness, is also redounds to his glory because he designed the world in a way that, that is a both and in that regard. But um, that, that also, you know, when you look at the unbeliever, which, you know, David wrestles this with this in the Psalms, right? Why is the unbeliever who is corrupt, mm-hmm. why is he thriving in all yeah. of his ways? And we don't get to know that earth side, but we do know that God's justice and his glory will be accomplished eternally in the unjust man who is prospering, as well as in the person who is struggling and bubbling along, seeking after God's heart and not prospering externally or even internally, quite frankly, um, here on earth. we. I remember a long time ago um, listening to um, John Piper speak about forgiveness. And I think this was at one of the way old Peacemaker conferences back in the early, you know, early 2000s. Um, and he made the, he was making the argument that we have the ability to forgive because one, if they're a believer, Christ has already forgiven them at the cross. Uh, two, and this is what really struck me. It's like, even if he didn't die, even if they're not saved, they will get punished. Mm. It will happen. You know, so if you feel like you've been treated unjustly or whatever, and it's like, well, I didn't get anything. Well, they will get their, you know, just desserts, if you will, at and, the end of the day. Yeah, justice will be done. And that's how you can live in a posture of humble mercy, whether you see that justice being done or not. That's actually, I don't know if it's if it was at the same conference, but there was a man named Peter Kuzmich who was, I always forget, he was a president of a seminary somewhere in the Balkans, and I'm going to Google very quickly his brother-in-law that some of you have probably heard of. His name is Miroslav Volf, and I haven't loved all of his recent writings, but he's probably most famous for a book, Croatian. He's Croatian. Uh, he's at Yale University now, but he survived uh, a civil war in the Balkans and genocide and his most famous book is called exclusion and embrace and i read it it was one of those books i read it after i graduated from seminary and it was one of those books where i could read two pages at a time and my brain was full but but he begins with with asking the question how do you break cycles of genocide of you know the gosh i'm totally rwandan you know Mm -hmm. the Tutsis and the Hutus, you know, that that sort of thing, which is the same thing that was that's that was happening in the Balkans is these cycles of violence. And he said the only reason the only way that you can break these is through forgiveness, where one group absorbs the absorbs rather than continues the cycle 
of vengeance. And he said, the way that I, the only way I see Christians being able to do this is by believing that, that justice will take place, that these injustices that go unpunished and unavenged here on earth will be punished perfectly in eternity. And so vengeance is not mine. I can turn the other cheek here on earth, not because justice is not being done, but because I do actually believe in justice and, um, and in punishment of people. And Wolf has gotten a little bit, well, a lot more liberal and squishy on things like that. But in terms of his original book, Exclusion and Embrace, and then he has another book on forgiveness that is called what? Have you read it? I've read most of it. Uh, free of charge, giving and receiving in a culture stripped of grace, which as you say that a culture stripped of grace, you think, well, that's our modern culture. And yet he wrote this book, I think in the early two thousands <laughs> and you think how, how much worse is our culture stripped of grace and cancel culture? None of that existed. Cancel culture, at least as a, de- as a, as a thing, a defined thing. Back when he published the book, I'm Googling it right now because now I'm curious when he published it. The The phrase stripped of grace is, um, feels very kind of poetic to me. 2006 is when he published this. So. Makes you want to go like try and write a song. Giving and forgiving in a culture stripped of grace. It was a great book too. Mm. Anyway. Um, is that the subtitle? Yeah, free of charge, giving and forgiving in a culture stripped of grace. Uh, Speaking of the Balkans, (laughs) I, um, my, my dad flew out this morning from Billings to California for the funeral of his last uncle. His, so my dad's, my dad's mom actually passed away last Thursday. Last Thursday or Thursday before? The Thursday before. Uh, I don't remember. Two, two weeks ago. Okay. And, um, that's a whole nother thing that I'm not going to talk about on here, but it was a mercy and she was, she would have been 99 in January and she died in her own bed, uh, in her own home, the house that my dad grew up in. And when she started declining, just of being really, really, really old, she went really quickly and two of her sons were able to be there with her. And anyway, it was a very, very merciful thing in a lot of ways, knowing that that was an an inevitability. But uh, her sister, my grandma's sister, Connie, was married to Joe, so my dad's uncle Joe, and Joe was a World War II veteran, and I've told a couple of people about his story, and they're like, wow, that is so cool. And I was just trying to Google it to refresh my memory about this World War II piece of history, and there's a very strange thing about this. Our computer will not play YouTube videos about the Forgotten 500. I was running in, it might be, I don't think it has anything to do... What With what I'm searching? No, yeah, I think it has something to do with our firewall, because I remember okay. I made those changes the other day. And, oh, okay. Um, it seems to be, because I was struggling to watch 
I was trying to figure out what Jocko Willink was doing in terms of visuals for his YouTube podcast. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it play, wouldn't play. I was like, well, that's weird. Mm. So, so anyway, that up um, so you guys, if you look up the book, The Forgotten 500, if you are a World War II buff or just war, war stories in general, he, and the reason I was trying to look it up is because I'm, I'm ter- I am not a war history person. I'm more of a personal stories person. And so the way the book is written, it's got the personal stories, so it hooked me in. Plus, having a great uncle who is part of this... he w- He's not one of the characters featured in this story, but long story short, the Allies established an air base in southern Italy. And they would they were flying... The big bombers. You would know what those are more than I am. B twenty nines. There was there were two different types of B bombers. B seventeen and B twenty nine. Okay, so those. So they were flying those from this base that they established in Italy up to parts of Europe where the Nazis had fuel uh, strongholds, like huge huge fields of fuel that they were relying heavily on, and. The Allies were sending primarily American Americans to, and they would have to fly over the Alps, and they were bombing these fuel things, and then the Germans, of course, start protecting their fuel, and so they would shoot these really heavy bombers, and the bombers would become incapacitated and unable to get back over the Alps, because they were flying really slowly at really low altitude, because they'd been damaged, and... In in the middle of the Yugoslavian Alps, these the planes would give out, or they would have to crash land, and U.S. airmen would bail out, and they would be rescued by the Yugoslavs, who were in the the midst of their own very interesting political turmoil, and so they were actually taking care of both German soldiers and American soldiers, but hiding them from each other and sending Germans back. Well, anyway, all this goes on. The 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 Allies were not supporting the current Yugoslav leader, and so he was trying to show his good faith and get their support again. And they ended up screwing the pooch on that. Kind of a giveaway. You know, a little bit of a spoiler here, but if you know history, they ended up throwing their weight behind Tito who ended up turning Yugoslavia communist. And I think that was Churchill's fault. So if you read the story, you'll get more of this. There's a little bit of a... It's it's all woven in there together. But anyway, there, there ended up being a little over 500 U.S. airmen being housed, being cared for medically, being fed by these poor Yugoslavian peasants. And eventually, they, they were able to get word out that there are all these U.S. airmen who are alive, needing to be evacuated. And very long story short, they built secret, uh, under cover of night, so that they wouldn't be discovered by the Germans, they built landing strips big enough for, like, a C-something plane. I'm terrible. I shouldn't... I, I feel so ignorant saying this. This giant carrier plane, they built a landing strip just big enough for it to land... And over the course of several days, after this big secret planning thing that they did that involved, like, hiking to a crashed plane and salvaging radio equipment so they could have radio contact with the base in Italy, all this 
very crazy, daring stuff. They ended up evacuating over a little over 500 U.S. airmen. Uh, under cover of night, the Germans never found out about it. It remained this super secretive thing for years and years and years, partly because the they had worked with the guy who was opposed to Tito, who had turned Yugoslavia communist, and Yugoslavia was communist for so long, the U.S. didn't want to go public with this operation and praise the people who had evacuated these 500 U.S. airmen and make Yugoslavia, communist Yugoslavia mad. So it took until like the early 2000s for this to be a public thing. And then this guy wrote this book, The Forgotten 500. And if you do a search for Operation Halyard, H-A, I think it's H-A-L-Y-A-R-D, you can get away with learning about it on, if your YouTube isn't set up like ours, or just by doing searches for articles. Uh, But it's, if you're looking for a last minute Christmas present, H-A-L-Y-A-R-D, Operation Halyard. And if you uh, need a last-minute Christmas present for somebody, they might enjoy getting the book for the Forgotten 500. And so, anyway, my dad is on the, a plane right now to the funeral of one of these 500 U.S. airmen who were evacuated mm. from this. <clears throat> That's cool. There's been a few deaths running around here recently. You know... Probably no more than usual, but it feels really poignant at Christmas. And also for us, like, I was just texting a friend this morning who said that her she'd had an uncle die last week and she didn't really know him because it was she's estranged from her dad who was estranged from his sister and it was this estranged sister's husband who died. So she's like, it's weird to have a family relation die and there's so much brokenness and death makes permanent that brokenness, right? There's no reconciliation in it. Mm-hmm. And and then it's the Christmas season and you're supposed to be happy, not grieving. And um, uh, Titus turned 12 this last week and the week that he was born, <laughs> several days before we had a friend die. He had epilepsy and he had a seizure and died in a car crash like three days. That was Sunday. Titus was born mm-hmm. on Wednesday. And then the next Saturday, my mom's dad died. Because we were just hanging out like that following or that previous Friday, I think. Yeah. So anyway, that the week of, the week that Titus was born was wild because birth, new life was sandwiched by death for us on both weekends around when he was born. But But that's... That's Christmas, right? Like, Jesus came to die. <laughs> he came yeah. into this world of extreme brokenness um, in order to create life, but he had to empty himself and to make himself nothing in order to to raise us up with him um, back to it's glory. The concept, I've had a few different conversations over the last few weeks about the differences between Christianity and other religions. And the concept of a god um, emptying himself of his godhood to save his people is wholly unique to the Christian faith. And abhorrent in other faiths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, this kind of goes a little bit back to um, 
Ah, uh, oh, stink. It tied back into something we talked about earlier in the show, and I'm looking at my notes right now, and um, can't find it. But um, my thought disappeared. Um, well, it ties into what sort of God we're called to trust and to... Oh, goes into control. Yeah. Um, we, it is completely and totally outside of our nature, our human nature, um, to accept a free gift of salvation. Everything in us wants to work for it. Everything in us wants, oh, the idolatry to and be Israelites good enough and judges. For it. To be good enough for it. To, to uh, earn, earn what we can to make something not, happen. Not because we want to earn something, but because we, it, it's, it, it's devastating to our sense of self to say that I'm not capable of it, that I'm not good enough. So it's not that we necessarily want to earn it, but we want to be good enough. And that's also something for it. that's also something that is wholly unique to to the Christian faith because every other religion on the planet you have to work for what for what you want. You have to work for your salvation. You have to work to get it and God's like, "Nope." Okay, this this is a totally <laughs> different conversation that I'm not going to have <clears throat> we don't have time for because I have to get at least to an online class in 16 minutes. But every now and then, when I am up too late, I'll get the urge to see what Derek Webb and Josh Harris are up to online. And one of the really interesting things that they always, always rail against in their former lives as Christians is this bad self-image that Christianity pushed on them. This, I'm not good enough. Oh, I'm a sinner. Mm. This, you know, Calvinists would say total depravity, that I'm in myself, I'm not worthy of anything good, that I can't earn God's favor. And they spend so much time telling their followers, you are good enough. Don't listen to that. It's not a biblical message. It's not a message that God, if if they do believe in a sense of God anymore, and they're very unclear on that too, that, and and they're, they're very denigrating to Christianity, uh, and and yet at the same time, it's tale as old as time, right? This they're they're not doing anything new and amazing in their understanding of of the human nature. They've just gone from a biblical understanding of human nature, which is. There is no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands and no one who seeks God to, and then, and then, and the wages of that is death and God has darkened your understanding until the spirit makes you alive and able to see your need of Christ and to receive Christ. And they've just, they've just gone the other way, which Hebrews says is a real bad place to be, right? If you Mm -hmm. have tasted the gift of God and then you turn away you're worse off than if you had never tasted the goodness of God to begin with. And anyway, I just, like I said, talking about deconstructionists is a whole other conversation. But sometimes I'll skim their Instagrams. And then the other one that I was, I I didn't even know who this was. I just, was it on Instagram? I came across this set of reels and this guy has really long hair and he's wearing a hat and he's holding his camera off to his side and he's talking really fast and it's very choppy. He keeps doing these different cuts and the camera angle keeps changing. And it turned out to be um, Abraham Piper. 
who was one of John Piper's sons, and he's in that class. He's in that category too. The post-Christian deconstructionist. I can't believe I used to think that I was a terrible person. Sort of category of people and real snark. He's he's pretty snarky uh, about Christianity now, and uh, it, I look at that category of people, and I'm like, how do you make sense of the world today? And you know, like Rachel said, the news is so bad and it's so overwhelming. How do you look out at all of that and go, you're basically good? Like, people are basically good. They don't need a savior. We've got this. It just, we've got this in and of ourselves. Like I said, that's a whole different conversation that I, I wasn't wonder... remotely prepared to have. But yeah, no, it, it makes me deeply sad to hear people like this with such dedicated followers who follow Derek Webb, they followed him through his Cade McCall days, and then they followed him through his Sandra McCracken days, and they're still following him. And they should not be fo- they, they, they Follow Jesus. Don't yes. follow Derek Webb. Because <laughs> he's taking you on a crazy path. You know, I just, yeah, and the path is the path is convoluted with the whole concept of, of being good enough and being bad enough. Well, good enough for what? Being a bad person, you're not. You are, you are a sinful person, in in the spiritual economy of, of salvation and earning God's favor. Yeah, you're you're not good enough. Nobody is. We're all in the same boat. But in terms of earthly good and bad and and good works, yeah, you might be a good person. You're just not good enough to like. There are some tremendously you know good. Yeah, you're just not good enough. You just there. never will earn your salvation. Like it's just. I, I, sometimes I think those two ide- those two ideologies get really those two ideas get like just mushed around a little bit. And that's also why. Okay, here's another article. I don't know if we ever shared this on our on our blog, but the that article HR goes to church. Did you ever share that? I never shared it, but I think I saw glimpses of it. Uh, I'll I still have it open on my phone somewhere in my 68 open windows. I'll dig it up because we have to be really careful about psychologizing Christianity. And you look at an unbeliever who seems to be thriving and in our, our prideful wants justice right here and now sinful human person looks at someone, you know, that David is railing against in the Psalms who seems to be doing well on every front and yet they're they're not a believer, and or they're outright wicked, and they're prospering. And we go, well, I bet he's miserable to be married to. I bet he's miserable in his marriage. I bet he's deeply insecure. I bet he struggles with anxiety. We we assume we we have we have this sense of wanting someone to be struggling or suffering inwardly if they're not struggling or suffering outwardly if they deserve to struggle or suffer. <laughs> By our own sense of justice, yeah, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, I'll be really honest. I look at Josh Harris or I look at Derek Webb and I'm like, I hope you're totally torn up inside. I hope you're miserable. I can't believe, I mean, I genuinely can't believe, maybe some of you guys can out there, but Derek Webb, as far as I know, is married to one of the singers from, what's that band? Um, the the King of Love, My Shepherd is, the I Am They. I Am They. So he's married to the female singer in I Am They, who's singing all of these amazing Christian songs, right? What is she thinking? Does she, what, don't be unequally yoked. Like, this man does not claim Christ. Maybe she I don't does know think she's, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. I, 
it makes me sad with the public persona that they're communicating because there are a lot of Christians who follow both of them. But we're going way over time with rants that I'm not qualified to rant on right now. But I, I mean, I look at that in, and again, in my, in my overly psychologized Americanness, I, I hope that they have inward struggles that they're not letting the world see. Because in my psychologized self, that creates some sense of justice that they're that they're struggling, and that that things are not going as well for the unbeliever as they could be, and uh, that's that's not actually so. When you're talking about, you know, there are genuinely really good people who are not believers in the world who are doing really good things in the world, and I'm. Bet if all of you guys sit and think for a minute, you can think of like one who comes to mind off the top of my head is Ashton Kutcher. Mm-hmm. Like he has a brother who's severely disabled, and he loves that guy. He considers him his equal. He treats him well. He speaks well of him publicly. And then he's doing Ashton Kutcher is also doing all of this phenomenal work against traffic, human trafficking. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, he's not a professing believer at all, but he's doing genuine good in the world. I don't have to sit and try to figure out what God is doing with him for his glory uh, with somebody good in the world. I don't have to look at someone and try to figure out what's actually wrong with them that makes them not good. I just have to know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin is death. And that every person stands at the foot of the cross as an equal and needs the free gift of God that is well, eternal life. That's kind of the that's kind of the thing, right? Like you spend we run the risk of over psychologizing everything. We run the risk of overdoing something, either trying to control, uh, overthinking, uh, or whatever it might be. I think there's a lot I think in God's sovereignty, and ironically, I think he gives us a lot of freedom in our lack of control. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, you're not responsible for any of that. You're not responsible to make sure this person has justice or that justice is served uh, on to this person. Like, you don't have to worry about that. So we don't have to try to figure out these formulas or these magic things. We literally simply have to sit You are back literally and trust preaching Ecclesiastes God. right now, right? <laughs> You are. We sit back. We trust God. We are faithful with what he's given us. We eat, drink, and be merry. Yeah. Enjoying the genuinely good gifts that God has given to us because tomorrow, tomorrow in, you know, a thousand years or but a day to the Lord, tomorrow, God makes justice happen and we don't have to figure it out. It's like the news cycle. You know, the the, the 24-hour news cycle, kind of what Rachel was talking about, really feeds this anxiety and this desire of all these things we know is not going wrong. And in a lot of ways, I think it distracts us. And so, you know, I mean, I, I look at my own life all the time and even our conversation today, it's like, I'm just making things more complicated and worrying about things that I, it's, they don't need to be that complicated. Eat, drink and be merry. They don't need to be that complicated. Enjoy the good things God has given you today. So, you know, I'm going to go. Do what God puts in front of you exactly. today. Exactly. That's, I say that one a lot. Because I'm like, well, what are my plans? So, I mean, yeah, risk of psychologizing, we risk overanalyzing, we risk all those things. And unfortunately, I think in our desire to control, to know, to understand, you know, we've got 
the self-help section in every bookstore in America. And what <laughs> we need is propagates trust everything. and obey, for there's no other way. Yeah, we don't need medications. To be we don't need happy a in Jesus, dysphoria. But to trust and everything's obey. dysphoria now. We should call we should call our lack to trust and obey some sort of random dysphoria. I was just reading about something online, in like was, we should stop talking huh? so I can go get Elise. So. To anyway, yeah, I'll get this post up because I I might actually head up to the ski area tonight. I don't know, it depends on the roads. The Snowing of, here in Montana, guys. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to snow for like four days straight, which is great for everything except driving. And I have to be at work at eight tomorrow. Be ready, you know, basically get be putting boots on at 8 and it's an hour and 15 minutes away from here in good um, conditions good conditions so it's like do i get up at do i leave an hour early or 45 minutes early or whatever or do i just and drive it in the dark or do i drive it in the dark tonight after dinner you know take your pick but there could be a ton of snow on the road tomorrow maybe not i have no idea so you just make yeah, the best decision the you can with the limited information you have available exactly. to you exactly um <sighs> Not a cup of coffee. Okay, guys. I'm going to cut it short or we're just going to ramble. All right. If you guys, we've mentioned a lot of links and a lot of things. Uh, the ones we feel are pertinent will be putting up on uh, in the show notes. So you can browse through there. If you guys want to order People Weird and Hard stickers, they're three bucks a pop. They're high quality vinyl. They're up on the website. They get mailed directly from our house. So please give me a couple days to. Uh, Get shipping and handling done, but they're in stock and ready to go. We've shipped out a lot of them so far. And if you want to send us a note, you can do so by sending us an email at tb2f at pm.me. You can go to our website, too busy to flush, all grammatically correct, too busy to flush.com and scroll down and send us a postcard. Or you can do what a lot of people do and like to jump on our Telegram group. The link again will be in the show notes for that. It's a private group. Well, it's a public group, a private link um, to that group. So, yeah, jump on and do that. And we will hopefully, uh, Lord willing, get some other uh, blog posts up for you. We've got some uh, hookup resources coming. We've got hookup culture resources coming. We've got some uh, home internet deeper discussion on that coming. We've got a few uh, delicious recipes coming as well. So don't forget to subscribe to our blog if you're not. Uh, that said, stay busy, <laughs> flush, eat, drink, Wash and be hands. merry. Eat, drink, and be merry, and we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>